Hello, and welcome to Field Notes, the weekly podcast of the Military Fellowship Center in Jacksonville, North Carolina, serving Marines stationed at Cap Lejeune and surrounding areas. Military Fellowship Center is a ministry of Military Evangelism Incorporated. Our speaker and host for the program is Dave Mason, the General Director of Military Evangelism and the Field Director at Jacksonville. Visit us on the web at militaryfellowshipministry.com or email us at militaryfellowshipctr at gmail.com. Now, here's Dave Mason. We continue our study of the book of John this week by picking up in John chapter 4, verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples unto another, Hath anyone brought him aught to eat? Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity to speak your word. And thank you for all that are listening right now. Help us to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we pick up our story. Jesus is still at the well in Samaria. He's talked to the woman at the well. We've been talking about her for the last two weeks. And she's run in the town and told all the men about him. And uh, after she leaves, uh, the disciples, um, they're concerned because they've just watched their rabbi talk to a woman of ill repute. And uh, they leave. They don't say anything about her. And after she leaves, it says that they said to him, Well, okay, Master, we've gotten our food. Why don't you eat? Um, you know, you're tired, you're weary, maybe you just made a, a poor decision talking to this woman. They're thinking, let's let's just change the subject. And he says, um, no, I don't need to eat. I have meat to eat that you don't know anything about. And they say, well, well okay. I mean, it's good that the disciples are concerned for his well-being. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus had a greater need than food, and that was to do the will of God. Accomplishing the Father's will was Jesus' delight. It filled him. Listen to Psalm 40 and verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is written within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid my righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth. From the great congregation. Phillips Brooks said, Seek your life's nourishment in your life's work. Serving God strengthened and satisfied Jesus Christ, and it should strengthen and satisfy you. Jesus said, Doing God's work was nourishing. It was the meat, it was the food that fed his soul. And listen, folks, if you're serving God and it's not nourishing to you, you need to check and see if what you're doing is the will of God. Or if possibly it is the will of God and you're doing it in the wrong way. Remember when David had the opportunity to bring the ark back from the Philistines and bring it into Jerusalem the first time he brought the ark back. He was doing a good thing. He was doing a great thing. Let's get the ark into Jerusalem. Let's build the temple. Let's reestablish temple worship. This is going to be an awesome thing. But he sends out some soldiers with a cart led by ox and he puts the ark on the cart. And when the cart hit a bump the ark started to tip and Uzzah reached out his hand to hold the ark to keep it from tipping and God, angry that the ark is not being carried the way it's supposed to be carried on the shoulder of Levites, 
and angry that a man actually thinks that God would let his ark fall and get hurt, God strikes us a dead. You can do the will of God, but you can do it in the wrong way. And if serving God isn't nourishing you, you might want to ask yourself, am I trying to serve God in the wrong way? Or maybe I'm not even in the will of God. Another example of this is Matthias. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples are in the upper room waiting for the day of Pentecost, like they were instructed, for the Holy Spirit to come on the church. But waiting is so boring. And so Peter felt like they needed something to do. And he and the rest of the apostles get this great idea. Hey, while we're waiting, we might as well replace Judas. I mean, you know, he hung himself. He's, he, he, he betrayed the Lord. And well, we had 12. We should have 12 again, right? So let's, let's choose a 12th apostle. So they literally roll the dice. That's what casting lots is. It's rolling the dice. And the dice rolled and the number came up for Matthias to be the 12th apostle. Well, they trusted God that he would, he would yeah, that's how Jews would choose things sometimes. They trusted God that he would, uh, he would make the dice fall the way they should and that they would pick the right person. That's, that's a wonderful thing to, to think, but here's the problem. God already had a 12th apostle chosen. His name was Saul of Tarsus. And poor Matthias, well, he's never heard again from after Acts, Acts chapter 1. So remember... We're called to be servants. We're called to be listening to our master's voice and doing his will by serving others. Matthew 20 and 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We're to be serving. And serving within the Father's will. Serving within the Father's will. Doing it in his way. We're also supposed to be seeking. We're also supposed to be seeking. Jesus changes the conversation from food to the production of food. Okay, he, he changes the conversation from food to the very production of food. Because there's a bigger spiritual lesson to be learned here. There's something more that the disciples needed to learn uh, than just uh, this little lesson on witnessing. Verse 35, Jesus says, Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then harvest comes. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. So he changes the conversation from food to the production of food, the harvest. He's teaching the men that the source is the focus, not just the results. See, we, we tend to think we're going to do God's will and there's going to be these great results. We're going to get more people in church. We're going to see more people get saved. We're going to have a bigger VBS. We're going to have a bigger offering in church. All these sorts of things. We're looking at the results. The focus is not the results. The focus is the source. See, at this point, the Samaritan men and women are coming out of town to see Jesus. This woman went into town and talked to the men, and the men are coming, in the, coming out of town to, to the well. Uh, I'm sure their women are coming with them too, and there's this crowd of people coming towards them. And when Jesus says this, lift up your eyes, look on the fields for the white already hovers, I'm sure he's pointing to town, he's pointing to these people coming at him. Can't you just imagine him pointing to this crowd coming towards him? Lift up your eyes, look around you. Here, fellas, here's the harvest. The souls of men and women are the crop, and the crop is way past ripe. In fact, it's already white as the color is drained from it and it's dying. What does that mean? Jesus is reminding the disciples and reminding us that people are dying and going to hell. So do something about it. We're supposed to be busy planting the seed of God, uh, the word of God, planting that seed. 
reaping where the crops ripe. We never know what the Word of God will do in someone's heart. All we can do is spread the seed and see what happens. Just spread the seed and see what happens. And when we see something grow, reap. Jesus tells us that usually only one out of four people who hear the gospel will respond to it in a way that leads to salvation. We read a portion of this story last week in Mark. This week, let's look at the story in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spoke many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell on stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other, the fourth, fell on the good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. You see, we spread the seed of the word of God by witnessing, by living righteously, by praying. And sometimes our job is to cultivate the seed by showing compassion, by loving on folks, by praying earnestly for them. But when harvest time comes, and you will know, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, when harvest time comes, start reaping. You know, there's nothing wrong with friendship evangelism. There's nothing wrong with just walk across the room. There's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, uh, uh, creating a community and all that sort of stuff. But when the Holy Spirit is moving on someone's heart, take the moment to present Christ and lead that person to find faith in Christ. Never forget this one thing, folks. Never forget this. The lost want to hear what you have to say, even if they don't know it. Psalm 4, 6. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. There are people out there who are like, when's somebody going to show me something good? When's somebody going to show me something right? When's somebody going to show me something precious? When am I, I going to find something that's worth having in this world? Well, you have it if you have Christ. Show it to people. So we're supposed to be servants. We're supposed to be seekers after those that need the Lord. And then we're supposed to be sowing and reaping. Look at verse 36. And he that reapeth receive wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. And herein, is that saying true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap whereupon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me of all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe. Not because of your saying, for we've heard of him ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So he that sows and he that reaps, they're the same person. You know, they're no, there's, no, there's no greater or lesser, you know. Some people sow and other people reap what they sowed. Who sows and who reaps? It's immaterial. The church has forgotten that. We are called, every one of us, to do what is available to be done at the moment. 
The one who leads a soul to Christ is no more important than the one leaving the gospel track all over the place, the one praying in his house, the one making a meal for the downtrodden. All of those people are important in the process of making disciples. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that plants anything, neither he that waters, but God gives the increase. Now he that plants and he that waters are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we're laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. You see, unfortunately, I've observed a lot of competition in Christian ministry. In church, among pastors, among evangelists, uh, I've seen a lot of competition. There's no such thing as competition in Christian ministry. If some guy, if you're a preacher, listen to listen, and your church is really small, and the fellow down the street, his church is really big, thank God for that really big church, and thank God for your little church. It's all the same. You're no less in God's eyes. There's no such thing as competition. We are assigned a task, and we're supposed to do it. Whether it's in the public eye or whether it's in secret. In his amazing devotional, My Utmost for the Highest, Oswald Chambers says this, Jerusalem stands in the life of our Lord as the place where he reached the climax of his Father's will. I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. That was the one dominating interest through our Lord's life. And the things he met on, with on the way, joy, sorrow, success, failure, they never deterred him from his purpose. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, the scripture says. The great thing to remember is that we go up to Jerusalem to fulfill God's purpose, not our own. Now, naturally, our ambitions are our own, and in the Christian life, we have no aim of our own. There is much to be said today about our decisions for Christ, our determination to be Christians, our decisions for this and that. But in the New Testament, it's the aspect of God's compelling that's brought out. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you, God says. We're not taken up into conscious agreement with God's purpose. We're taken up into God's purpose without any consciousness at all. We have no concept of what God is aiming at. And as we go on and on, it gets more and more vague. God's aim looks like missing the mark because we're too short-sighted to see what he's aiming at. At the beginning of the Christian life, we have our own ideas as to what God's purpose is. I'm meant to go here or there. God's called me to do this special work. And we go do the thing. And yet still, the big compelling of God remains. The work we do is of no account. It's so much scaffolding compared with the big compelling of God. He took unto him the twelve, it says in Scripture. Well, he takes us all the time. There is more than we have got as yet. Folks, God's purpose for your life may remain a mystery to you. All you have to do is do what he says. See, I read what Chambers said, and, and if you don't read My Utmost for His Highest, you need to get a copy of that. It's not the only devotional out there. It's just the best, plain and simple. I read that part of the devotion because I see the disciples here, and they're looking, and they're thinking, we're in Samaria. We hate the Samaritans. We're witnessing the Samaritans. Why are we doing this? We said that two weeks ago, how the Jews hated the Samaritans. Jesus, this isn't the place. We should be reaching the Jews. Verse 37, 38. Herein is that saying true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap, thereupon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you entered into their labors. Uh, folks, location doesn't matter. You may end up in a field where you never sowed. You may sow, sow and then be taken out of the field before the crop comes in. 
Sometimes, as Oswald Chambers said, we have no idea what God's up to. And that can get frustrating, I understand. Sharing your faith, sometimes it can get frustrating. Sometimes it'll feel like nothing's happening. Just remember, God is way bigger than your concept of Him. God is always at work. Even when it looks like nothing's happening, He's always at work. When I get discouraged because God sends me somewhere I'm not comfortable, or puts me through a season with no visible results, I try to remember Ecclesiastes 11.4. He that observes the wind shall not sow, and he that regards the clouds shall not reap. Those that just sit back and watch things happen is never going to have an opportunity to sow. And he that lays back and just stares up at the clouds and just, you know, lets the day pass, he'll never reap. Just keep working. Keep witnessing. Be faithful. And remember, you're not alone. God's with you. He promises a harvest for your labors. Psalm 126.5 They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weeps, bearing precious seed, the word of God, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves, his crop, with him. And by the way, it's supposed to be tough. Did you know that? This life is not supposed to be easy. Especially the Christian life. It's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be tough. Verse 6 of chapter 4 said Jesus was wearied. Verse 38, Jesus says, I sent you to reap where you didn't labor. Other men labored and you entered into their labors. And you'll labor and other men will enter your labors. You're going to labor. The word wearied in verse 6 and the word labor in verse 38, same word. Labor makes us weary. And we're supposed to labor. We're supposed to get weary. Let you know that you had a good day. I don't know about you, but I like getting to the end of the day and being so tired I just fall into bed and I can't hardly move. And I just want to go to sleep because I've done work. I've, I've worked the whole day. I've done a good day. Now I'll sleep really well and I'll get up extra early and start all over again. That's life. So at the end of a long day of traveling and witnessing and preaching, what happens? John four thirty nine, And many of the Samaritans believed many of the samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all that i ever did so when the samaritans were coming to him they brought him they, they besought him that he would tarry with them just stay here with us and he abode there for two days and many more believed because of his own word and they said to the woman now we believe not because of your saying for we've heard him ourselves and we know that this is indeed the christ the savior of the world so Jesus came to this little town. He sat outside the town at Jacob's well. He met this woman who was five times divorced and living in sin with a man at the time. So ashamed of her life that she wouldn't come out to get water in the morning with the rest of the women. She didn't want to be seen with the women. He talks to her. He relates to her. He creates a spiritual thirst in her. He convicts her of her sins. He reveals himself as Christ to her. She runs back into town, tells everybody about it. They come out. They hear the word of Jesus. And they say, we don't believe just because of what you said. What you said brought us out here. But now we've heard for ourselves. And we know indeed that this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Folks, that's how it works in our lives. Jesus came to us. He related to us through uh, another witness. You met a preacher you really liked, so you started going to church. You had a friend invite you. You had a friend sit down and have coffee with you at Starbucks every week for a few months, and, and they related to you. They created a spiritual thirst in you. 
they, they, they convicted you of your sins and showed you how that you're not as good as you think you are. And then they revealed Christ to you. And you accepted him, not because of what they said, but because of the word of God. You heard the word of God. And you got saved. Now, if you haven't done that yet, I pray that this week is the week you do that. You've heard the word of God. You know that you're a sinner. You know, you know that you have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6. Now listen, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. Confession with your mouth, believe that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and you're saved. Salvation is actually pretty simple for you because it costs Jesus everything. He had to give his life for you to have the opportunity to be saved. And so if you haven't done that, I beg you, invite Christ into your heart today. It would be the best decision you ever made. Are you going to have a greater life? Or are you going to have a better life? Or is everything going to be just roses and sunshine after this? Probably not. But you'll have a calmness in your heart. You'll have an assurance in your soul. And as you follow God, and as you obey His Word, you will see His hand in your life. You will see Him moving, and you will see Him blessing. And you will take what He gives and be thankful for it, and find that you don't have as many needs as you thought you had. A lot of what you thought you needed were things you just wanted. And now that Christ is in your heart through the Holy Spirit... Your heart will be full of joy unspeakable and glory. Do that today. If you haven't, do that today. And if you have, and through this time studying God's Word, you have come to faith in Christ, would you please do me a favor and just shoot me an email? MilitaryFellowshipCTR at gmail.com Let us know that you came to faith in Christ through the ministry of military evangelism, through the ministry of this podcast, Field Notes just gives us an opportunity to rejoice with you. And uh, I'll send you a little note and thank you for, for contacting us and uh, let you know that we're praying for you. And we would just love to, to be a part of blessing you in your life. Again, thanks for listening. Next week we pick up and we'll finish up John chapter 4. Until then, I'm Dave Mason. God bless. Thank you for joining us for Field Notes. If you have been blessed by the preaching and teaching you have heard, consider visiting our website at militaryfellowshipministry.com and click the donate button. Any amount will be a great help to us as we continue to reach our men and women in the military with the gospel. Join us next week as we continue our study of God's Word. God bless you.